now tuned in to the Meesey Muse Unplugged, a pop-up podcast variety show helping consultants along their journey to greatness with your host, management consultant, author, and blogger, Christy Lindor. Welcome to the Meesey Muse Unplugged podcast show. So for today's episode, we will be doing a segment that I call AMA, Ask Me Anything. And if this is your first time tuning in, AMAs are when I have the wonderful opportunity to connect with a seasoned consultant where they share their journey on the profession and give you advice. Also in today's episode and our first career dilemma, we're actually going to be uh, discussing the topic of work-life balance. I actually have my very first fan mail we received a couple weeks back with a go-getter wanting us to kind of give them some advice. They're, they're looking to really kind of commit to a hobby as an amateur musician while working a demanding career and wanted to get some perspectives on that. And before we kind of delve in today's interview, I also wanted to show, uh, to, to kind of share with my, my go-getter's we're, we're going to try something a little different in today's episode. As I mentioned before, I think it was in, um, it was actually in episode 10, we talked about being in refinement mode. And with that, we are wanting to see kind of what different formats are working. And so I've actually split today's episode into two different formats. So the first one, I'm going to narrate the first half of Ed's interview, his AMA interview, and kind of talk through kind of different pieces of it. And then for the second half, we'll, we'll, we'll take a break. Once we come back, we'll kind of continue the, the rest of the interview as we, as we have in past AMA interviews. And so I would love to get your feedback, just kind of getting that kind of that side-by-side comparison in the same episode with the different formats. Would love to get your perspective. So once you've listened to this episode, please stop, drop me a line, mecmuseunplugged at gmail.com. So again, we are in refinement mode, ladies and gentlemen. So I want to make sure that we're able to really meet, you know, kind of the the different needs and and kind of try different things and see what works. Okay. So with that, let's get started with today's episode. I, I asked Ed in the first question, as we do with all of our AMA guests, Axon to really provide a little bit of an introduction of his background, and this is what he shared. I am a banking and capital markets regulatory compliance guy. I've been doing this for 16 years. I'm a former examiner. I'm a former industry guy. And for the last five years, I've been on the advisory side with a big four firm. And my aspiration here is in the next year to become a partner at the firm. You know, what's interesting about what Ed shares as an examiner was, was actually surprising for me. You know, I've, I, I've known Ed for quite some time, but I didn't really know about that background. So I asked him to then go ahead and give us a little bit more insights on what that role entailed, particularly for those who may not be familiar with the regulatory space. And then um, Ed does a nice job in sharing what led him into consulting from being in the bank examiner space. I worked for the Federal Reserve for five years right out of school, and effectively what I did is I examined banks, you know, banks from different very, uh, different types of, of size and complexity, everything from the, the larger $80 billion in assets on the West Coast to, uh, you know, smaller 
credit union type banks. And what that entails is, is a bunch of different things, right? Reviewing their, their lending process, reviewing their deposits process, reviewing kind of more from an enterprise perspective, you know, their training, their awareness, the communication, monitoring, testing of those things of that nature, right? So mm-hmm. I think fundamentally what it boils down to is you have some kind of guidance, some kind of law or regulation that is the standard. And you look at their process and, and procedures, and you compare that to the standard, and you identify gaps. And then, of course, you would provide findings and recommendations. The, the thing about it is that it's coming from a federal examiner, so there's a lot of authority there, and, and uh, you know, the banks feel compelled to to want to fix it, right? So my entire career has been 16 years, but I, I always joke that I always wanted to be a regulatory compliance professional since I was in the sandbox. But the reality is, like, nobody chooses, you know, a lot of the times it's just, it's just happenstance, opportunity, dumb luck, whatever you want to call it, right? And, you know, when I, when I got into, out into the market, I graduated from college, my undergrad in 2002, and I was an economics major. So I thought, well, really cool working at the Fed. How cool would that be, right? Janet Yellen, who later became the head of the FOMC, was actually my international economics professor while I was at Berkeley. So I kind of had this aspiration to just go work at the Fed because I thought, wow, that's really cool. You know, I can use my economics there. And then when I got there, the reality was, well, there's so many different things that the Fed does. They, they you know, they uh, discount window, you know, they examine banks, they provide the policy, there's a lot of clear checks, they move cash. And so then I kind of did a, a rotation, a management development rotation at the Fed. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up like really kind of, you know, having an interest in is how some of the law and regulation that had been drafted for these banks, basically the history of that. So my dad was a big history major, and that, that was always kind of like uh, something that I enjoy. I enjoy the history of things, like how things came to be. So a lot of the regulation comes from the Civil Rights Act back in the 60s. You know, Equal Credit Opportunity Act, Truth in Lending. These are important things that are in place because people were being discriminated uh, against. They couldn't get a loan. They couldn't get a home loan. If you're a woman, you, you know, were asked to bring your husband. So I found a lot of, I found that appealing in the sense, like I felt like I was actually making a difference and, and that I was helping to make things better and that, that stuff was really important. Now, outside mm-hmm. of that, what I really enjoyed while I was doing this is just everything was always different, right? You go to a different bank, you start a project, you examine a bank, the, you know, your teams are different, the people that you interact with are different. I really liked having that, you know, that, you know, every six months things change. I, I wasn't one of those types of folks that wanted to be in a place where, I worked with the same individual, Nothing that's not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just couldn't see myself not having that variability, which quite frankly is, you know, naturally what we do in advisory, right? As a consultant, you're used to traveling, you're used to moving around, working with different teams, solving different problems, right? It keeps it kind of interesting, right? And I feel like I'm always learning. So the transition from examiner to moving into industry, uh, the next big thing that I did was basically work on the big IPO and then join and help in compliance there, and then moving to advisory, kind of a natural evolution of things, right? You kind of, you know, learning the fundamentals as an examiner, then you learn how to apply it to a business, like how do you actually operationalize this stuff instead of just trying to get findings and recommendations, how would you actually do this if you were running a business, to now as an advisor, helping to cut it all together, right? You know, when you look at compliance, is it is it really just an examiner's hat, or can you think of it from a how do we make money? How do we, as a business owner, how would we use compliance in our benefit, right? So that's kind of been the evolution of, of, of you know, my, my 16-year journey, so to speak. 
You know, what's also interesting I find with Ed's background is that being a bank examiner really sounds very familiar to consulting. You know, there are uh, different kind of assessments people do and, and, and really having kind of the, the background and doing research, and providing recommendations and suggestions. So I thought that was an interesting parallel. And so uh, Ed then elaborated further on, um, you know, the, kind of the, the similarities of the two professions. I think that we all, the, the, the good thing about it is that I mean, if you have this mentality that, you know, everybody's a client, right? Or, or, you know, you're used to the matrix. Everybody, a matrix hierarchy, you know, you have multiple bosses, right? But if you come at it from that perspective, whether you're in industry or consulting or whatever you do in life, like, right, you know, the, the idea that, you know, folks that you're interacting with are, are maybe a good opportunity to learn uh, or to teach, then I think that a lot of the time, it takes a lot of the monotony out of the job and, and there's something else that you're getting out of that relationship. Right. So I think if you kind of go in with an open mind, quite frankly, an open heart about some of these things, you're going to gain quite a bit. So that's really kind of embedded in like the advisory kind of consulting background. Given that Ed does provide advice, uh, you know, given his background, being both in industry and then coming over into consulting and really enjoying this type of work. I ask Ed to really give advice to, you know, what I call career consultants. So these are individuals kind of like myself, you know, that grew up doing consulting work, uh, either at one firm or they've just really been on a linear path from, from, from the beginning and never really had sort of that broader industry experience. So I asked him to share, you know, what are some blind spots that an individual like that should consider um, as they continue to progress through their career? one thing that I always argue about it or that I said at top of mind for me is that look, folks that are career consultants are really strong at all of the, you know, kind of being a consultant, right? They've got great, great people skills. They know how to marshal mm-hmm. resources. They're able to lead. They've got all the great soft skills and, and ability to socialize and speak. But as a career consultant, don't lose sight of the fact that you haven't really operationalized your recommendations, right? When you go to a client and say, hey, you should do X, Y, and Z, you know, you haven't actually done the work, so to speak, actually implemented your recommendations to actually see what the outcome of it, of it is, right? So there's a lot of value in having had the business side of it, having actually worked at trying to actually operationalize some of what we're recommending, because then you see all the downstream effects, right? Then you actually see, quite frankly, the politics of, of getting something done, right? Mm. It's, easier, it's really easy to Monday night quarterback and say, well, just do this and just do that. The reality is in life, there's a lot of gray. When you work in, when you work in industry, you have to navigate that gray and you have to do it every day. And sometimes you have to do it year over year with the same people. It's not that simple, right? So I think that the person who comes into consulting, having some banking or, or some industry experience actually has a lot to add as an advisor because they can empathize with you know, the client. They can understand and provide better recommendations based on their experience in industry of what really is truly going to work. Ed also shares a personal challenge that really helped shape his, uh, how he does business today. And he goes into a little bit of a story there, but he also shares with some of his greatest achievements, um, which, which are really super awesome. I think that the biggest struggle that I had is I am for lack of a better term, a definitely an A type personality. So I definitely am the type of person who gets up at 4.15 every day. I go to the gym every day. I set really high standards for things. 
I'm a go, 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 you know, wanting to move things really quickly type of person. And the reality is not everybody operates like that. In fact, the majority of folks just don't operate that way. And it's good because we don't want that. <laughs> that would be bad for society, right? But we want the yin and the yang. We want to have that. But when you start to lead people, when you start managing people, you know, you, you have to really kind of take a step back and say, hey, look, not everybody's like this, right? You have to understand that everybody's got a different way in which they learn, a different way in which they approach things. Not better, uh, not bad, not good. No, it's just different, right? And for somebody like myself, when I was younger, I would think, well, why are they so lazy? Why don't they just want to, you know? And the reality mm-hmm. is that's just, not, that's just not it. It's not that, you know, the, the ability to empathize with an individual and say, hey, there, you know, there are different ways to approach this. There are different ways to, to address this. It became very, very pertinent to me when I, when I worked abroad. I, I worked in Asia, in Latin America for five years. And when I worked in Asia, you know, they never said yes or no. They just said maybe. And there was a lot, it was a lot slower and a lot different the way in which they conduct business. But the rea- if you take a step back and say, oh, look, they've been doing this for thousands of years, right? I mean, the U.S. is 240 years old, right? The East has been around forever. So clearly they've figured out a way to do business that works and that maybe there's things that we can learn from them, right? Maybe there are things that we can, that I can learn while I'm here. So what I learned then is that when you're managing folks and, you know, you've got this A-type personality is that you really have to be cognizant of that and that not everybody is motivated in the same way or, or, you know, honestly appreciate that type of motivation, right? And just having to empathize with that individual. Now, I still gravitate towards A-type personalities, right? I'm still kind of like, you know, like having those types of friends. But I think it helped me a lot in terms of managing people, letting that go, having that self-awareness, being aware that that is me, and that sometimes, quite frankly, that can, be, that can just honestly be construed as being a jerk and being aware of that and not trying to change who you are, but trying to soften it or, or being aware of that and communicating to your team, yeah, hey, look, I got this interesting quirk. quirk. This is one of the things that, you know, I've been told in the past, being transparent with them, and so they can kind of understand where you're coming from, right? So that was definitely a big challenge for me, right? Because managing people is, is, you know, there's got to be a lot of, a lot of empathizing with the individual. In terms of my, the greatest achievement, my greatest achievement, like, I'm a proud father, so the first thing I think of is my kids. That's my greatest achievement, the fact that I've got two great kids and a happy family and just, you know, for me, my mind, that's the very first thing that comes to my head is I'm a father first, everything else second. Can't afford to suck at that, to be frank with you. But in terms of from a a professional services uh, perspective, I mean, there are three things that really kind of stick out in my head. One is that at the Fed, I helped to develop and implement the enterprise risk management white paper that's now published. This was back in 2002. And that was kind of one of the first big major things that I saw that, you know, had been published and out and available to everybody in the United States. I mean, obviously, I was one of um, several hundred people that worked on that paper. That was important to me. Working on and rolling out the IPO was huge because it's still the largest IPO uh, in history. We got a lot of value out of that and did a lot of work there. And I think that the, the, the thing that most lately is in the last five years, going to business from four people and 1.4 million to 30 people and 60 million. And I think, you know, the reason for that is because, you know, we have now 30 individuals and continue to grow. And we're showing that, quite frankly, this has legs. And 
I'm excited because I, I think that this is kind of really what I want to do for the rest of my life. So this wraps up the first half of our show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. We're going to come back to the second half of the show where it'll actually go back into our regularly scheduled AMA interview format. So I would love again, uh, go-getters, please drop me a line. Let me know which one you like, if you like the first half or if you like the second half or if you want some type of hybrid of the two. Again, this is about you. And so I want to make sure as we refine, I get your feedback. So drop us a line, misimuseunplugged at gmail.com. We'll be back and see you then. Today's episode is brought to you on behalf of the Misi Muse. 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules and habits of great consultants, a book by Christy Lindor. Written in the voice of a mentor, the Misi Muse provides insights on the unwritten rules of great consultants, a perfect read for new or aspiring consultants. Christy dives into her 15 plus years of consulting experience while sharing interviews and anecdotes from over 50 consulting partners and leaders that represents thought leadership from 80% of the top 10 consulting firms in the world. Pre-sale begins shortly. Sign up at www.macymuse.com. That is so cool that you, you have that reassurance that you found something that really excites you. I, I can even hear it in your voice and your energy as you kind of talk through it. I want to go back to the challenge you mentioned, but just kind of there, what, what type of advice would you give to someone that is still kind of on the, on the, you know, really kind of on the fence? So they may be doing work like that is like, okay, it doesn't really excite them, kind of the way you describe, like, what advice would you give them, you know, if they're thinking about like different like career paths and ideas? Try, like, uh, so I, I, well, hopefully I'm talking to somebody who doesn't have that much experience, <laughs> but, you know, like for those folks that are start, barely starting off in the market and they've got a couple of years and then they just don't know what they want to do, you know what, sometimes, like, like I said in the very beginning discussion, like, it's a lot of it has to do with, like, opportunity and happenstance and pure dumb luck. But one thing I will say is you don't know what you're going to like or dislike, right? You may think in your head, look, I can never see myself doing this, but the reality is you just don't know until you try it, Right. It's like dating, right. right? We go through a lot of phases in our dating life, right? Where we think we want something and then we end up with something else. And, and you kind of go through this process and you don't really know really what you really like or dislike. And quite frankly, people change over time. What, what you don't like today not, might not actually be what you don't like later. So I would say if you, when presented with a good opportunity and you're, you're kind of iffy about it, I would say, look, what's the worst that can happen? Ask yourself that. If I take the job, if I do this and I don't like it, then I go find another job or, or what? I mean, what, what's the absolute worst thing that can happen? So sometimes it's really important to take that leap of faith and to go for it. And there's always options to do other things if you don't like it. One thing that you can do that can really damage you, I think, is that you just overanalyze things and you get stuck mm-hmm. in that analysis paralysis thing. And my analogy for that is this. Like, you know, coaches coach and players play, right? You don't see Kobe Bryant you know, he's, he's, he's done all of the training and all of the practice, and he just goes out and plays. He doesn't even think about what he's doing. It's just in the moment. And I think that's really important about life. He's just kind of, if you've done your homework, you've thought about it, you've done the analysis, you know, just make a decision. It'll be fine, right? I think it's really right. important to kind of, in, just in life in general, not, not to get, you know, one of, the, one of the things you'll hear people say is don't look back, look forward, and then keep going forward. 
people are going to make mistakes in life. You just keep moving forward. Do not live in the past. Do not go back. Keep moving forward. And in the end, you look back and you say, look at everything I did. Right, right. That is just so spot on uh, type of guidance. And for listeners out there who may have been waiting for a sign to make a decision, this is your sign, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, definitely take a chance. I think, I think, I think you said that so nicely. And, and kind of, you know, like I mentioned, going back to the challenge that you overcame, I think you hit on a really good, important concept. And in, in, in my book, I, I, I really talk about what it takes to be a great consultant. You know, outside of the, the technical skills, you know, what are some of the, the key kind of elements? And I think it is that empathy that you mentioned. And, being able to have that differing worldview and being and having that level of self awareness is is critical, uh, not only for the team. And I think you know you talked about it kind of you know from a teaming perspective. I think even for clients, you know, for for part you know for for leadership types of interactions, it's important to understand and empathize with the other side. And I completely agree with you that sometimes I think as, as consultants, especially if it's, as someone's newer in their career they may be just looking at it like one-dimensional. And so I think that's a, that's a really good lesson that you learned, Ed, around um, the empathy piece. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question of the day is actually a little bit of a, a light one. What would you say is, like, your favorite 90s jam? Like, what's your favorite, like, 90s song? And I know it's random. <laughs> So, so what if, what if, what if, for whatever reason, I, what happens if I was born in the 2000s? Then, then what would you ask me about the 90s? Okay, so then, so then, like, what's your, okay? What's like your favorite? Forget, forget the 90s. So, what's like your favorite all-time song, like right now? Like, what's in your iTunes or in your SoundCloud? Oh, right now, like, right what, now, right now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, give us, give us your top five. Like, like, what's your thing right now? Kendrick Lamar, all day long. Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> All day long. My DNA, I love that song. I mean, it's probably the most, one of the most influential tracks since Pac. I mean, like, it's really that good. Yeah. I've got this really interesting aesthetic with music. So I would say, so I, I listen to everything except for, say, country and bluegrass. I can't do it. I just can't. But I, I, I would say that I'm 60% hip-hop rap. I just grew up with it. And then, you know, I, I like classic rock a lot, a lot of 70s classic rock. Um, Ooh, and then okay. The last, the last piece of it there is you, know, you think I'm weird, but I like classical music. I don't I have no clue who who might be or whatever, but I I do a lot of classical music. So I have an interesting aesthetic, and you know it's it's pretty funny because when you mentioned '90s, the first thing that popped in my head was Gwen Stefani, Holler Bad Girl. For whatever yeah. reason, <laughs> that is the first thing that just jumped in my head because she did this bubblegum pop sound soundtrack LP like in the like middle 2000s. That was basically would have been like a like a '90s track, but that I just remember that Hollow Back song because my wife is really into it. She's played all the time, and I'm like, now it's stuck in my head. But yeah, yeah, that's funny. I I was thinking, I'm like, is Hollow Back Girl '90s? I think that's I can't remember. No, it, it, it was definitely 2000, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. It, was like, it was like 2005-ish, but it was her '90s bubblegum pop you know album that is like that throwback to the '90s. Because if you listen to it, you're like, oh, okay, I can see how. Madonna might do some of this, you know? Right. But, yeah. But yeah. Right. For sure. Kendrick Lamar right now. That album is Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. It's it's fire. it is on fire. Yeah, it is on fire. I hope the radio doesn't kill the song, honestly, cuz you know how they can kill a song and play it like overplay it. 
and the DNA song is really cool. So I agree. I agree. It's a really, it's a really catchy. It has a really catchy hook. You, you talk about the classical music. Are you one of those that like to listen to music while you're working or doing certain things, yeah. or you just like are really just full into like classical and have like you know favorite artists and tracks and that sort? I have to listen to music. I listen to music probably every day. I would say on probably two to three hours a day, easy, easy. That's the first thing I do when I wake up. I get my Pandora up. I, I play my music. I get my kids up. I'm playing music while I get my kids ready. I got music when I work, when I go to the gym. I love music. So, yeah, it's just I don't know what it is. It's just I almost feel like if, if I'm not, if I hadn't listened to two to three hours of music, it's like I kind of almost crave it. It's, it might be something about just the fact that I always have to have something going on in my brain. I mean, I only sleep four or five hours a day. I constantly want to keep myself, you know, thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I'm. I feel like if there was a, if there's like a soundtrack to my life, I'd have so many tracks. And it's funny you mention that because in the in the podcast, I have like a different. I, people may have not caught this because it's a new show, but every single segment of the show, I have a different song for it, like a different jingle. And it's I, I made this whole like soundtrack. So this is so funny for the podcast. Because it's kind of the same, like, music is such a big part of my life as well. So I totally agree with you. Well, this is great. Any, I don't know if you've got any, like, last thoughts or, or things you want to share just from, you know, someone who's entering into consulting for the first time, thinking about it, just from where you sit, you know, a couple years, you know, you, you're definitely going to be an executive layer. So any, any words of wisdom you'd have, like, before we pivot? No, I, I would uh, the, the one thing I would say is, look, don't get lost. You know, sometimes, you know, we get so headstrong. We get so, you know, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become a manager. I'm going to become a, whatever it is, right? You've got to have a right. thing. And, you you know, there's life happening all around you. Like, don't forget to stop and, like, live in the moment, smell the flower, whatever, you know, you know, need to use to kind of help you think of that. But it's a short life. And, you know, you need to tackle your professional. I mean, the the the, the robustness with which you tackle your professional life, you should do the same on your personal life, right? So if you're going to go 100 on business, you should go 100 on, on personal life too because, you know, you, it can't be, you can't have one overshadow the other, right? There's a lot to this life and just, you know, it's really important to kind of keep that in mind and that, you know, what you do in work, when you come home, it's about your family and you just kind of have to have that balance, right? Really important. Hey, go-getters. Have feedback on today's show? Questions on consulting? Want to be a guest? We'd love to hear from you. Just drop us a line at mecmuseunplugged at gmail. That's unplugged at gmail.com. You can also show us your support by downloading episodes, spreading the word to friends and family, or leaving us a review. Remember, Meesey Muse Unplugged is a pop-up podcast, which means we'll stick around as long as we continue to hear from you. Thank you for your support. Now back to today's show. All right. Well said. Well said, Ed. And you actually, uh, that was a nice segue, the advice you gave to today's question. So what I typically do, Ed, is with each AMA, I, I do have either my mentees or other individuals reach out to me with questions, and I ask folks like yourself to help me in giving this person advice. So would you mind if I share a specific scenario with you? 
and we can see if we can give this person some advice. Okay. So it's it's actually on the theme of work-life balance. So it kind of worked out. And I was so excited. (laughs) Today I got my first email. So for those who may have, you know, out there that may have a career question or looking for any specific guidance, drop us a line at newsunplugged at gmail.com. And it was so funny. I actually launched the podcast, and I got my first email from my fan. I was so excited when I got it. I was like, wow. So I'm going to just read it to you, and then we can, like, kind of bounce off some ideas that we can share with this person. So the person that wrote me, his name is Jason. So he said, hey, Christy, I love your show. Thank you for creating it. I think it's super unique. I'm new to consulting and would like to join an amateur band to rock out on the weekends. It was a passion of mine in college, and I really want to go back to the music. So today's like music and work life today is a theme, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> and this person said, you know, what I've realized in, in being in my in my role, I'm I'm not able to really uh, have time for myself as I really want to, and I really want to make a good impression. So given that you've got a lot of experience, Christy, like what are some of the best ways consultants can manage, you know, having a hobby while working a demanding traveling full-time consulting role. So given this, the scenario, as like what would be some things you, you may want to share with this person? I feel like you kind of said a lot of it, which, are, which you just shared, but anything else comes to mind? Let's just kind of break down operationalize it, right? Like so put it on your calendar, right? You know, like right. I, I have dinners and, and breakfast with my family, and so I put it on the calendar. I know it sounds weird. Oh, well, he's going to block out an hour to do this. But if you don't, there's a good there's a saying that says if it's not written, if you don't write it down, it's not going to get done. Right. Mm. So put it on your calendar and say, hey, look, Friday from whatever, from three to five, this is what I'm doing. Right. And I'm going to find out a way to do my work between, I don't know, let's say you come in early, you come in and you do from, you go 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. to do your work. And then from three to five, you go rock out. But you've got to get it calendared and you just got to stick to it and do it. And something really important is that you should always, whether it's music, whatever it is, right? I have a rule of thumb that any dollar that I make, I save 40%. I mean, automatic, that's going to happen. I'm going to save the 40 cents. Because, you know, you pay yourself first, right? That's the idea right. behind it. So in this case, you've got to pay yourself, right? You, you, and then, you know, the other thing, too, think about it this way. If you feel like, oh, this might take away from my work, the reality is it's not. What, what's happening is it's going to make you a happier, better, more productive person, right? Because you have time to kind of zone out, do your thing, and you come to work a lot happier and a better mood, and you're more efficient, more effective. So that's the way you kind of have to think about it as well. Right, right. No, I, I agree. I like to put it on your calendar, because it does start. It does just start with that, that kind of that pay it, pay it, or pay your, pay yourself first mentality. Mm-hmm. So t- completely, completely agree with you. I, I'm gonna add a couple more things, kind of actually along the lines of pay it on, you know, put it on your calendar. I think taking taking that idea a step further, I'd probably also say, Jason, just make sure you communicate it. So being transparent with people around you to, so they know what's happening. Because I think sometimes what happens with consultants is. You know that they may they may want to do certain things in their personal life, but they're they're fearful they're fearful of what people might think or may think they're not like you know holding their own weight. So kind of back to your point, Ed. You know, putting it on your calendar, but taking that step, talking to your team, talking to your manager, talking to you know folks around you, if it's your leadership, and being transparent that this is an important part of your life that you'd like to kind of continue, and figuring out like what's the workaround so that you, you still kind of you know you, you commit to your team, you commit to your client work, everyone knows what's happening with you. I think that transparency can sometimes it can actually help alleviate some of the you know some of the perceptions or optics that you know sometimes I think people are, are afraid that having a life outside of work 
<laughs> may, may make them seem like not as productive. Like what, what are your thoughts? I know you have large teams. That, like any, anything to add to that? Yeah. If you ever get into a situation, like well, first of all, anybody that's a leader that, that is smart, empathetic, it's going to be totally cool with this. It's not going to be an issue. Right. You know, they'll say, okay, I get it. But if you ever ran into somebody who's like, hey, look, I'm not sure about this. And then, you know, well, you know, quite frankly, then you need to really kind of, you know, I don't want to say force the subject, of course, the issue, but you, nobody's going to advocate as, uh, as strongly on your behalf as you are. And you've got to, and you've got to, you really kind of have to say, like, prioritize what's important to you, right? And if this is really important to you and you really want to do this, do it. Find a way. You know, the transparency is so important, you know, but also come with options on, you know, how you're going to change your schedule or how that's not going to impact your job or how this is going to make you more productive because there, there's no way for that individual to say, ah, oh, you shouldn't do this, right? If you're coming with all these different things as to why these are all positives, then that person should, should be signing off on this immediately, right? Right, right. I completely agree on that. I think kind of going back to the point around putting it on your calendar, another kind of spinoff to that, I think it's also, and again, this is kind of working with your team and, and that transparency, but also figuring out where do, when are there moments that matter that may conflict with your hobby that you definitely need to be, uh, you know, on board on and, and be a little bit flexible. So, for example, if we're, you know, if you're onboarding on a new project, you're just kind of ramping up on a new project, that may, you know, if you're looking at your calendar, that may not be a good week to, like, have, like, a session, right? Because you really need to focus on, you know, kind of ramping up and, and getting prepared or if it's, there's a big client meeting happening or if you're involved in a proposal. So I think, I think it's, again, working with your, your, your teams to figure out what are the moments that matter that may, there may be a conflict that you can work through and just being realistically flexible about that. But again, not to say that you're not able to do those things, but I think I think just just being mindful that sometimes you have to be flexible given the nature of our work and, and sometimes just the nature of, of how volatile our schedules can be based on our client needs. Yeah, and no, I think those are all really, really good points. Yeah. Do you have a hobby by, by chance, Ed? Yeah, I mean, if I had to say what my hobby is at this point, I would say it's that it's, uh, for lack of a better term, going to the gym. <laughs> you know, I like to keep fit. I like health and fitness quite a bit. So I would argue that that's my hobby. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, you, you get that in regardless. And I know a lot of other consultants that the gym is like number one, right? For them, they either end or start their day with it. So you've, made, you've been able to make it work, which is great. Yeah, you, look, anybody who says they don't have time to go to the gym, Full of shenanigans. You have time. Like I, I got two kids, a wife, a job, house. I mean, like, and I still find time. I, I woke up yesterday at four fifteen to go to the gym before I went to work. Like, you just gotta want it. It's gotta be important to you. It's gotta be a priority to you. Right. And I'm really a firm believer that healthy body is healthy mind. Like, it's gotta be. It's the same thing. You know. So yeah, it's yeah. really important. Agreed. Agreed. So so kind of on that healthy body, healthy mind. Jason, if, if, if music is your thing and you want to rock out, you know, you, hopefully these tips can help you kind of start to create that and, and just being confident and having those conversations and, and, you know, as mentioned, being flexible. And like Ed said, put it on your calendar. So this is, this is great. So, so Ed, this is such a pleasure connecting with you today. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, look, thanks for having me. It's a blast. I love this kind of stuff. So 
maybe I become a recurring person on your on your podcast. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, I um, love it. I would love it. Yeah. Definitely. Like Definitely. A little, um, a character. Yeah, yeah. We. Wait, I. I think. I, I think I'm gonna have to find like other types of questions. The '90s question, I think, didn't work. But, <laughs> but I'll. I'll have to find other questions. But would love to have you again, Ed. Um. And and so thank you. And and go getters again. If you have other questions, so thank you, Jason. By the way, my first fan mail. I love it. But if you have other questions thoughts, want to be a guest on the show, feel free to drop us a line at unplug at gmail. Again, it's unplug at gmail. Again, I want to thank Ed for being on the show. And go-getters, thank you for listening today. And here's to your journey to greatness. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. This pop-up podcast was inspired by my upcoming book, The Misi News, 100 plus selected practices, unwritten rules, and habits of great consultants. I have people asking me over the last year many questions about this book, but the one question that comes up constantly is, Christy, you have such a demanding career. How did you find time to write this book? And honestly, the answer is simple. I really sought to become the mentor that I wish I had earlier in my career. In the beginning of my career, I didn't have many mentors, um, mental maps of what success really looked like, and I really struggled with that in, in a lot of different ways. But what's nice about struggles is that I overcame them, I grew stronger, more competent, and I'm so excited where I am today in my career. I, I just want to share you know, what I've learned and be able to help you. And so I wrote the book you know, with my years of experience, but I also had an opportunity an amazing opportunity to connect with over 50 or so consulting partners and leaders across the industry, sharing their stories, their antidotes, their resources on how you could be a great consultant yourself. So do me a favor, pick up your phone right now, go to www.mecnews.com. If you scroll down, you'll see a little box to sign up for uh, the book pre-sale notification, go ahead and sign up for it. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on uh, my book as well as the podcast. So thanks again for listening and here's to your journey to greatness.